welcome yes. to the Delling Pod with me, James Dellingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I am actually so, so excited. I've finally got Alex Thompson, whose name will either excite you enormously or make you go, who? Um, I'm very much in the in the former camp. I am excited enormously. Um, but Alex, I mean, you've probably been down the rabbit hole, as we say, for a very long time. And you've looked at the, what we call the normie world with a, a, a mix of exasperation and despair. And I suppose maybe kind of benign, but lightly condescending um, sympathy. Um, tell me, first of all, about yourself and about your journey. I know you were in the intelligence services. Presumably you can't say anything about it at all. I mean, what, can you even say whether you were in MI5 or MI6? I was in the one that you're allowed to say you were in, GCHQ, the only one of the British intelligence services that don't ask their officers when leaving never to say for the rest of their lives that they were in that service. I was in the Signals Intelligence Agency based in Cheltenham in Gloucestershire, GCHQ, the British partner agency to NSA. And yes, that was perhaps the, the central part of my awakening as such, because it took up the lion's share of my 20s. Um, but it, more, more germane, perhaps, to uh, how I started going down the rabbit hole, as you aptly put, put it, is, is simply that I've had my ears and eyes open uh, more than others. Uh, I'm speaking to you, actually, from my parents' house in Bedfordshire, though I've lived in the Netherlands for over a decade. I'm actually back for the first time visiting them in a year and a half with all the madness that's been inflicted on us. So um, this house where I grew up, in fact, this was my old bedroom before it became the study. This is where I spent many hours reading fact books by preference over fiction to the despair of certainly my mother, uh, a retired English teacher, um, and some of my teachers at school. They wanted me to read fiction, but I was reading fact books and uh, ethnology and ethnography and things of that nature. Well, um, so that gave me a very early start in understanding that different times and places are very different. Yes. Well, we're going to talk about that in a moment. I just want to, I just want a bit more, first of all. So were you, were you recruited at university? How does it work? GCHQ is being an electronic signals agency and interested in linguists and mathematicians and technicians. It's much less louche than MI6, for example. Yeah. There was a tutor at St. John's Cambridge, as there are in most Oxbridge colleges and equivalents like St. Andrews that tap you on the shoulder. Uh, but with me, with GCHQ, I simply applied. Um, and in fact, I came back from my year abroad where I'd been uh, helping with a, a Christian student mission in the former Soviet Union. So I came back with Russian and the local former Soviet language. Uh, and then my parents said, well, what, what, what could you do to better use your rare languages than GCHQ, uh, an agency of which I was vaguely aware, yeah. uh, technically speaking, a department. So um, off I went as a 21-year-old to apply. They were certainly 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years in a couple of months that I, uh, that I joined. Uh, yeah. it, it was split up because of 9-11, actually, my, my whole cohort joining. Um, at that time, they had their own entrance exam uh, for linguists. They didn't have any truck with the common civil service exam because that tested obedience over conscience and GCHQ's attitude, a bit like Cambridge with their own uh, entry exam, entrance exam in the 80s and 90s. They said, no, we, we can't be doing with this psychological nonsense. We actually need people who can think and who know things. So I actually flunked the main civil service entrance exam, but passed the GCHQ linguists exam. 
Get, so, so you were at St John's? I was, yes. yes. A college with lots of Northern English, Scots, Welsh and other down-to-earth types. And before that, rugby school, which is uh, the, uh, shall I say, the, the, the less Mardi version of, uh, of Eton where you were. So we didn't even no, get no, a chance to trounce you rugby. Um, I, I didn't. Were go, you not I at Eton? I didn't go to school, as they call it. No, um, my son did. My son did. Um, ah, but yes. I was just going to remind you um, of um, uh, a famous poem about your college. Uh, <laughs> there was a young fellow of John's who wished to bugger the swans. Along came a porter, said, "Sir, take my daughter. Them swans is reserved for the dons." These swans are reserved for the dons. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well-known ones. Apparently... And they do serve swans at the at the founders' feast. Lady Margaret Beaufort founded two colleges, St John's and Christ's, and they do have swans at the feast. Only for the fellows and scholars, I believe. So, do you, actually, do, when you you mentioned about how the the civil service exam tests for willingness to obey orders, regardless of you know, morality. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Um, in the same way, you know, since my awakening, as it were, I've become aware that Oxford and Cambridge are prime recruiting grounds for um, the cabal, servants of the cabal and so on. I mean, you know, many of the problems are, in the world are created by Oxbridge graduates, aren't they? Just as they're created by Yale graduates. Um, yes, yes. Do, do, you, do you think that the... They also, Oxford and Cambridge also select for the kind of psychopathic types or whatever that that that, that help rule the world in the interests of of of, of the dark forces. Or, or, or am I overthinking here? Nowadays, I would, James, uh, because I've gone digging. the The late great Ian Crane, who, among many services to alternative media, laid on a fantastic series of conferences called Alternative View, which Brian Gerrish and others are. Uh, uh, continuing after his sad demise, Ian Crane pointed out to me uh, that you need to look at the historical material such as Thomas Hobbes. Uh, and I was also put onto that by the likes of John Taylor Gatto, a late American critic of the education system who was New York State Teacher of the Year, excellent writer in, and, and perceptive. And he also had a bit of a distance from the establishment. He was that old style Pennsylvania Irish American who realized what the crown was up to fairly early on, those guys did. Well, anyway, um, because of that encouragement, I went uh, diving deep into Thomas Hobbes's Leviathan, and I think it's towards the end of book two. He says we'd jolly well better control the training of uh, uh, preachers at university, the clergy, because these are the people, certainly in the 17th century, who give everyone else the ideas that fill their minds. And you can take that forward to the dissenting French Christian writer Jacques Ellul. And uh, uh, I think one of the biographers of him called him uh, the man who saw nearly everything, the man who predicted nearly everything. And uh, Elul talked about uh, intellectuals as being the problem, particularly in the British context, the Oxbridge types, because he identifies that they uh, rely more on their own judgment than other people. You know, uh, I, I'm sure I can work out what's going on, even if I'm a humanities graduate and this is a science question. Um, they need to have more secondhand opinions presented to them because they they, uh, they can't work it all out themselves they're talking about things beyond their ken and the dinner party problem they always need to regale other people with a pat opinion they, they won't reserve judgment and that in a nutshell is the oxbridge problem of, of several generations past and you know as i say some of some of the best writers tend to be americans either uh, licensed uh, historians like carol quigley that's carol with two r's and two l's a man's name who was Bill Clinton's history tutor at Georgetown, mm. um, or these dissenting Irish-American voices, they, they're very good at picking away at uh, the, the veneer of the British establishment, and they see very well what 
dare I say, particularly our Oxford is even more than, than, than us at Cambridge, actually. It's, it's founded to hang on to the underbelly of the crown and always chooses the wrong side in any fight. It's often said, for example, Oxford, sorry, Cambridge made the martyrs and Oxford burned them. And uh, right from the, the, the 16th, 17th century onwards, Oxford in particular uh, is, is really just propagandizing for power. It is, of course, a, a great seat of learning with many scholars, too. Uh, but the, the, the essence of it is never to get on the wrong side of power. Yes, yes. I feel I feel that, um, you know, I when I when I got into Oxford, I thought it was just like I'd got it made. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And but looking back, I, I just wonder um, how I managed to come through that system unscathed. Because you know, this, so many- this is a bit unchanged from your time. I just dug this out of the garden shed because I'm clearing out my old books for my parents while I'm back. This is, I don't know how I came across this because I'm a Cambridge man, but the Oxford Handbook, yeah. 1981 edition for undergrads, there's black whales on the cover, as yes. was. Here's the uh, USU, the Oxford University Student Union reps for the year. This is before racialization, but the, the sexualization's already happened, the lesbian stuff. But look, here's Graham Stretch, who for 81, 82 was USU's officer to the National Union of Students. There's a uh, Graham Stretch wearing his revolutionary beret and yeah. uh, his, his lapel badge. Um, yeah. that, that's what the student's uh, body was like, particularly the politicized wing, wasn't it? You were that and you went into Labour or you were a louche type and you went into uh, Oxford or Cambridge Conservative Association and you made it to the top. But yes. even as an undergraduate, your, your mental uh, oddities and sexual foibles were already going on the record, weren't they? Not yours personally, but those who we knew who went into politics. Well, that's the thing. This is, this is a, a, look, I, I'm coming from the position of somebody who for most of his life was completely unaware of any of these, these currents going on. I had no idea, for example, that the people that they find, the, the system finds most attractive are people with peccadilloes, which they can blackmail them on. That yes. they're not really you'll be aware of the, 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 the early 1970s Tory whip, Tim Fortescue, speaking some years later in the 80s on BBC television, a famous clip now, saying that uh, if uh, members of parliament had a problem with small boys, we could make it go away and we had their lifelong loyalty. That, that in a nutshell is what the, the party system is. But we, we actually have at ukcolumn.org, which is the media organisation I now work for, um, uh, we have a, a particular... Uh, podcast series called A Dissident's Guide to the Constitution, uh, easily found on ukcolumn.org by going to series and then finding that dissident's guide. And the latest episode, 5.2, we dedicated to the evils of the party system. And we have more to say about that if that uh, podcast series continues, which I'm sure it will, uh, because this is what it leads to. You're, you're voting for an entire manifesto and an obvious point made by G.K. Chesterton uh, and who wrote one of the definitive pamphlets against this that we mentioned in that podcast is as soon as a party system exists, its loyalty is to itself, its own uh, continued yes. existence. It, yes. it's, it comes between you and your representative in Parliament. That's not historic English or Scots constitutional setup. You can certainly see it in people like characters like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who I'm ashamed to say I, I used to think was a, a good thing because I, I bought into the whole this portrait he presented of himself as being a Thatcherite and, and, and being a, a, yes. a God-fearing Catholic and things like that. You've come out this, this week, haven't you, and said that you're afraid he's not a Christian. Well, uh, without going near libel territory, uh, it's, it's well known that certain members of his family have some skeletons in their closets. And it is a, a well-known 
Anglo-American, Australian, general English-speaking world thing, that one of the way one of the areas in which the enemy likes to embed itself is the upstanding Christian, particularly conservative Catholic or, or staunch Protestant type figure, who's a great family man and above all is a is a constitutional uh, cod expert who regales uh, certainly the, the other members of the House or the Senate in America with constitutional knowledge. That that is a a key position which the other side like to fill. Uh, because that, that's that's the position in which you can talk the hind legs off a donkey and stop any man or woman of the people standing up in, in particularly parliament where it matters or Congress and saying this is not lawful. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, oh dear, there's so much. The, the, I tell you what, Alex, the problem is. There, there isn't there, but it's, 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 the, it's the battle for the mind, actually, that's the, at the root of all this. The, the more years I've worked with Brian Gerrish, Mike Robinson and David Scott, on at UK column, uh, sort of, uh, I would say the doy- the doyen of the we would say the new media, not even the dissident media. You you totally are. Media. We do what the BBC doesn't do. The more we see that you you have to understand the science, the engineering, the languages, the history. Between us, we have all these elements: the military, the hedge funds. We put our heads together, uh, and we have uh, you know thousands of viewers and writers uh, in talking uh, detail to us and giving us leads. But the only level on which it makes sense is. Uh, think about what Satanists would do and think about the battle for the mind. Actually, the title of the first of three books written by William Sargent, S-A-R-G-A-N-T, in that crucial post-war period. And from that perspective, it makes sense. If you're a bunch of no-gooders who want to occupy people's mind space, the name of a 2010 document produced by the Institute for Government and the Cabinet Office uh, as at the root of behavioral psychology, then from that position, uh, everything else follows, including you know some of the advanced physics projects that we look into or the sexual blackmail it, it, it only makes sense looks viewed through the prism of we need to control other people's minds and worldviews now okay I look i'm i'm very conscious that some of my audience are they've joined me down the rabbit hole and, and some of them are, are, are so far advanced down the hole they're even on your level and yet others are still kind of stuck in stuck in normie world and and this is why one of the reasons I, I wanted to establish who you are and your journey I think people can understand things better if yes if there's a sort of gradualist approach I mean I, I think one of the problems we have those of us who are down the rabbit hole we desperately want to evangelize we want we want people to know what's really going on and it matters to us and every time we do so we come up against a brick wall because we sound like complete kooks you know it, it's... yes but you know james it, it's it's like 9 11 uh, i was saying to the, the the extra time segment for uh subscribers to uk column the other day uh, just after the main news we do one of those for our subscribers uh i was saying the other day that uh with the current debate over the virus uh issues uh, terrain theory germ theory german new medicine we don't need to take a particular partisan position. The 9-11 truth has split into the LIHOPs and the MIHOPs and the, the various other camps. Very arcane. All you need to do, and you know, the fine minds, architectures, architects, engineers, pilots, and others that, that put their minds to 9-11, they didn't need to work out what energy weapon was used ultimately. They simply needed to say, I am not convinced that the official narrative makes sense intellectually from first principles, a very Scottish Enlightenment approach, and I am not persuaded of the veracity of the people who are telling me to believe it. That's all you need to do to keep the, the, the broad church on board, really. Yes, 
uh, that, that's... Uh, intellectual agnosticism of the best kind, Aristotelian, you know, intellectualism, the kind, not not faux Oxbridge dilettante uh, intellectualism of the 20th century, but dare I say the kind of intellectualism that my parents caught the tail end of at St. Andrews in the 60s, where you learn broad numbers of subjects and at the end you have your Socratic elenkos and you say, well, that's what I know, that's what I don't know, that's enough for me. Yes, yes, no, that's a good tip. So tell me, uh, you, were at, you were at GCHQ, presumably... When you were at Cambridge, for example, did you were you were you down the rabbit hole then, or did... I was getting that way. Uh, there what were some the fellow thing? students. Well, I mean, I spent most of my time, of course, in uh, the Christian Union, talking to earnest fellow believers, and most of them. This is the bane of both Anglicanism and nonconformity. They're very state conformist in, in in the current incarnation. There's a whole social history of the churches, which we could go into. It is a bit specialism specialist, but it, it ends up with. Certainly your typical Oxbridge uh, evangelical undergraduate or high church undergraduate being uh, quite predisposed to believe the state and to, to find a nice little place in society. But be that as it may, those who had traveled, who had read a lot of the good material coming out of the US from the 70s onwards, would say to me, have you heard of the Bilderberg Group? Um, and because it was the 90s, there was this exciting narrow window when even BBC Two was allowing documentaries suggesting that the archaeological past, the uh, the genetic past was not as it seemed. You know, the, uh, the, 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 the physical theories uh, were not all, all uh, done and dusted. And this, there was a, a, a brief period where we could talk about this and read these materials before the, the, the propaganda and censorship really got into high gear in the West after 2001. So yeah, I became dimly aware of that. But the biggest thing is being the only son of intellectual Christian parents who've invested a lot of time in, in me and, and conversing with them and their friends a lot. I became aware because they've been in public service in very broad sense in various roles the whole of their life. I knew from being a boy onwards, that uh, the public service in the broadest sense would do the dirty on you if you put conscience or, or lawful principles ahead of an order. Yes. And, but it being Britain, it would be done very suavely. So my father actually warned me before the uh, main, or the general civil service entrance exam that I took in 2000, he said, uh, they'll just ask you in 70 different ways in the couple of hundred questions, uh, will you, whether you, you'll go against your conscience, personality selection. And he was jolly right because he came up against the same brick wall in the Inland Revenue Service in the 70s. And then my mother in uh, registration of births, marriages and deaths in the 90s. Yes. Uh, she saw the, the encroachment of, uh, of this new thinking. So uh, it wasn't a surprise to me. But Cambridge gave me the final few. And as we were talking public schools earlier or boarding schools for your foreign viewers, um, the other crucial level is these very dedicated, selfless schoolmasters and schoolmistresses, particularly at rugby. Um, who, I mean, Barry Cunningham Batt, my favourite English teacher and, and leader of a student Bible study, pupil Bible study, I should say, and uh, others of that uh, calibre, uh, spent hours and hours teaching me a biblical, historical British worldview, uh, which very few people get now. So um, that enabled me to be sceptical quietly at Cambridge and GCHQ as to whether we were always on the right side of history or whether it was inevitable that British... Uh, interference with a particular situation or, or government interference with the plebs at home would, would be a good thing. What do you mean by a biblical historical perspective? Well, ultimately, the, the, the bottom line of a biblical worldview, and that's shared by pretty much any serious religion, certainly a monotheistic religion, is that man is fallen. And therefore, this leads to the philosophy of limited government. Uh, Lord Acton, of course, a classic Roman Catholic liberal of the late Victorian era put it uh, most beautifully that absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's the, that's 
the secret of the Anglo-Saxon world's success. Uh, we, we can't outproduce some of the world's other intelligent industrious nations like the Germans and the Russians, but we can, uh, in, in, a, in a society that isn't run by psychopaths and cheats and charlatans, we can outperform them in terms of the rule of law and uh, the, the, the goodwill the cultural sway that we have, but even that's degenerated into what the foreign office and the NGO world now call soft power, uh, which is a more demonic concept involving yeah. mind space again. So a biblical oh. worldview is simply realistic uh, about man and his, uh, his propensity to fall. And very roughly speaking, it's, it's uh, contrasted with, this used to be exclusively a continental theory until very recently in Britain, um, the idea of the perfectibility of man, the, the heritage of the French Enlightenment liberty and equality before all else you know equality yes. is it can only be forced we're not all equal you know yes. there's, there's no meaningful way in which we're all equal really except in in our uh, uh you know in our immunities uh, to have certain things not done to us but entitlements to to give me things no way yes so the perfectibility of man is an essentially anti-christian notion because it assumes that we yes. can create heaven on earth when those we christians know that we are fallen and it's only in the afterlife that we're going to kind of regain. That's right. Regain. So, I mean, C.S. Lewis, I, I direct a lot of my Dutch friends now, I live in the Netherlands, to read C.S. Lewis. And uh, he was no evangelical. He was sort of a mainline Christian thinker of his time. But I can I can certainly see eye to eye with him in, in his uh, dystopic science fiction trilogy. In I'm just reading, I'm just reading that, oh, that yes. hideous strength now. It's just, it's so you resonant. See, isn't it? Yes. And bear in mind that others of the era, like Isaac Asimov, uh, I mean, his, his best mate uh, in the wartime naval research he was in, Robert Heinlein, was a high up in the OTO, the same Satanist order that Alistair Crowley was in. So, you know, that, that uh, I mean, not suggesting that Asimov himself was in the club, but they could see a lot of things going on. They're, they're in the corridors of power, the likes of Huxley, Orwell, and certainly Lewis knew a lot of the transhumanist agenda that would only pop up really after 2000, 2010. They could see it coming in the 40s. So I'm going to cut to the chase now. We've, you know, we've, been, we've been doing our foreplay, Alex, but, but frankly, I think people want, want, want the main event now. So I was very taken by that lecture you gave on the real history of the world um, and on the 13 families. Um, yes. When did it... So tell me, when did it all start going wrong? I mean, okay, let me put this another way. We all imagine that the history of that we're taught at school is the right one and the British Empire was on balance a good thing and that the Queen loves us and she's our friend and you know she's stoical and 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 that and that the first first world war started because you know a, 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 Franz Ferdinand was, was was assassinated and the Second World War was because of a bad guy called Hitler and so the, on. These are all true, but they're lies by omission. Right. You know, you, all the things you've said are correct, but, you know, and, and some of them uh, would be putting, you know, to pry further, for example, one that, you know, uh, very much vexes my parents' generation of Christians, uh, is Her Majesty really on our side? Um, the, the biblical and, and constitutional deference require us to pray for her and expect the best without being naive and at least to, to blame her mistakes and her, her failures to block things through royal assent on bad advice or in fact there's no royal assent it hasn't been since early victorian times it's, it's a committee of lords that pretends to be the queen to give royal assent so that's one pillar of the constitution that's gone for nearly 200 years along with the part the rise of the party system in the same mid-victorian era so yes um th these questions 
to answer some of them, you would need to put, a, as Queen Elizabeth I said, a window into men's souls. And it's it's not our place to 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 ask just to, to pray and to um, uh, to do our best locally with our within our own circuit. But yes, all all the things you've listed are true. Otherwise, you would be siding with Britain's enemies and being a historical fool. You know, we we didn't want a French, German, or Russian dominated world. It would have been worse than a world dominated by Anglo-Saxon liberal Protestantism. Of course, yeah. it would. Uh, it's a question of who was in our midst the whole while. And before anyone uh, accuses me of anything, I do not mean the Jews. I mean something else. Should we? Yeah, actually, I was I'm I was very keen to nail this one because I, I, I have a Telegram group and, and and there's a few people on the, on the Telegram group who who bang on about the JQ, the which stands for as you know the Jewish question, and uh, you know if if the if the world really were being run by evil Jews and they were the they were the solution of you know they were explanation for everything that's wrong. If that were truly the case, I would be talking about it. But I think it's nonsense. Yeah, it, it is nonsense. The, the best two-book riposte is by an Orthodox rabbi from Boston, Massachusetts, called Rabbi Marvin Antelman, A-N-T-E-L-M-A-N. And his catchy book title is To Eliminate the Opiate. And he is one of the few having the understanding of a classic Orthodox Jew, the historical uh, grounding and the devotion to trace Illuminism and Satanism through Judaism and other religions back before 1776, which is most people's starting point. Uh, although, of course, it's clearly just one branch of an old, much older Luciferian agenda. Um, no, they, they, anyone who knows anything seriously about the Jews, for example, I teach biblical Hebrew in my Dutch Reformed denomination to ministerial students. I try to read rabbinical material as widely as I can. will know that even in any particular time and place, the Jews have not been united about anything, philosophically, religiously, nor do they regard it as essential to, to be united on, on all matters. You know, they're, they're, they're famously uh, intellectually diverse as a yeah. group. Yeah. You know, uh, we could go any, any number of ways there, but um, I, I mean, I'll happily talk to a modern ethno-nationalist. In fact, in, in both Britain and the Netherlands, I've spent many happy semi-underground hours talking with them because they're some of the very few men left that will have an, their own opinion and actually want the best for their future. Yes. Uh, but... If you want to talk Jewish question, then you'd better know something about the Jews, preferably know some Jews, preferably know some Hebrew, know some biblical theology, know some of the Haskalah ideas, the, the Jewish enlightenment, know something about Kabbalah, know something about the proportions of Jews who are in each uh, compared with the proportion of Jews who are simply secular and want to get on with life. You know, that, 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 that's a, a sine qua known for any discussion of the matter. It was, of course, dissident Jews in the late 19th century who, who coined the phrase the Judenfrage. The Jewish question. There, there was no ladenness to it back then. It was simply uh, in the same bracket as the Irish question or the Polish question. What is this nation and where should it live? And that, that's, uh, and in all, all three cases, of course, as with the Scots as well and the Armenians, you've got up to 10 times as many members of that nation living in diaspora than at yes. home. And ultimately, the, you know, the English do that too with the empire, the, the Anglos around the world. And that skews a nation very greatly again. So you know, these are not simple issues. Yes. If if we were going to pin down the the root cause of everything that's wrong with the world, mm. um, we would probably be talking about the Illuminati. Well, yes, Illuminism and Luciferianism as a philosophy, but you know nobody should look for a historic starting point. It's simply, as I say, the primacy of the mind and the uh, and and the, the, the mental roots of of, of evil. Um, the, the same constellation of ideas keep cropping up. In any, in any society. So the idea of, well, I mean, uh, Satanism is a dedication 
to the devil in the crudest sense to fulfill your lusts of various kinds. But the elite kind, Luciferianism, uh, believes that it's actually doing the world a favor by going for dystopia, genocide and tyranny, because it will be such a beautiful, wonderful, harmonious future under our, our light bearing, which is the, the meaning of the word Lucifer, our light bearing God. Many of them believe that they're actually worshipping God and it's Satan masquerading as God. That's, that's Luciferianism. And then if you go back further, you've got, uh, well, in the early Christian centuries, in both Judaism and Christianity, you've got Gnosticism, Gnosis in Greek, you know, meaning uh, knowledge, particularly of the hidden kind, the idea that knowledge will save you. Uh, that, that's, that has many other forms like hermeticism. But I mean, rather than doing an exhaustive study of these, which is particularly hard if you don't have the language and history as someone like me studied, uh, just look at the recurrent ideas coming up. You know, again and again, it's the idea that it would be just wonderful if we could rule ourselves, if we didn't have any God-given boundaries uh, to stop us uh, stealing each other's stuff, uh, if we could just decide for ourselves. C.S. Lewis said it best again, because I think it's actually in that hideous strength, isn't it, that uh, one of the characters is made to say, um, uh, we know jolly well that, uh, that man running his own affairs means that some of, uh, some of mankind will decide what the rest of mankind gets. Yes, I haven't got to that bit yet, but I'm sure that 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 that, that sounds like it ought to be the case from that. So book. That, that that's the, the the key node. You know that 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 bridges the gap between oh, I can't believe we have Satanists and Luciferians running society to oh, now this is sounding a bit like the technocrats and the globalists that are that are trying to run the show now. So before we go into details about you know the thirteen the, the black nobility and stuff. Um, what you're saying is that essentially this is this is the age-old battle between good and evil that we're we're experiencing, and this has always been with us. Yes. And and I've only I've only realised this recently. Uh, you know, you know, I've, I've become Christian, um, you know, real Christian as opposed to a kind of cultural Christian because I perceive the truth that God is real. This is this happens to a lot of UK Columbians and many others in the wider movement. They 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 often say to us, um, "I was." Uh, atheist or indifferent, then I realized that there must be evil, that since there was real evil, there must be a devil. And then I realized that I needed to flee to God. And finally, I saw that I could only do that in Christ. Yes. That's the usual route. Yes. Um, it, it, it is extraordinary. Um, but so we can't put a, a date or a period on this. Well, I mean, the, the fall of man. Um, yeah. But if we're talking Britain, the period in which we were spoiled, well, uh, you were talking about the bloodline. So uh, for anyone not familiar with this, this is a, a, a Dutch writer in America called Robin de Ruyter and his American co-writer um, Fritz Springmeier, who did some time in jail 20 years ago in South Carolina, probably in revenge for the book. Uh, and the book is easily found as a PDF online and is called The 13 Satanic Bloodlines. <clears throat> and they're at pains to point out that there is shuffling. So, you know, they're neither claiming that the 13 families uh, dynasties they name, mostly Anglo-American, a lot of Celtic in there and a bit of Dutch and German. They're neither claiming that these are the top dogs in the world, simply the visible empire runners, um, nor are they claiming that they're set in stone. In fact, if one family or one member of one family fails, it's dispatch and promote another one. You know, so oh, that, right. that's that. But that model of the bloodlines uh, where, you know, at that level, your whole family is basically dedicated to evil. Yeah. Uh, and, and calling it good. That goes back at the very earliest in, sorry, at the very latest in Europe to <coughs> the uh, Renaissance period, because Venice was the port of entry for all things and people oriental. And a lot of Levantine ideas coming back with the Crusaders 
made their way up the Adriatic to Venice, possibly the founders of Switzerland, a very uh, queer, questionable country. It isn't what it says it is at any level. You know, they, they, those guys probably came back after the fall of Acre, the last crusader fort, and set up the original Switzerland in 1291. And around that time, you've got these families seeding their way into northern Italy, which is where it's at economically and intellectually, of course, as the Renaissance gets going. And they bring with them these Levantine notions of uh, debasing the currency and uh, promoting uh, uh, vice in order to control people better and, and making people less able to live economically independently and to plan for the future and to see themselves as families and churches and nation states and more prone to see themselves as, as individuals following route, uh, base desire. Right. But, but I mean, the, before that period, presumably the world wasn't all cushy and lovely and, and oh no oh no i mean <laughs> no I, I, my specialism at cambridge was the um the dark ages you know anglo-saxon norse and celtic and i mean there's a lot of uh unprovable things asserted about that whole era the first millennium ad in the british isles or anywhere else you you care to look in europe but certainly there, there was some satanists around back then too yes yeah here's a <coughs> something that's that's always always puzzled me so you're saying that these Luciferians, they believe that he is the Lord of light and that he, he is actually God uh, and that it's all going to be nice in the end. Um, how do they, if he's such a nice guy, why does he want all this death and suffering before we get to this um, period of light? Well, um this comes to a point, and sadly, this is where the, the Jew bashers uh, get very excited, through a particular uh, heretical rabbi in the 17th century, uh, Sebatai or Shabbatai Zvi. <coughs> the surname is Z-V-I, uh, also seen as Shevi, S-E-V-I, uh, who preached. And then there was another one in the, the following century, Frank, uh, F-R-A-N-C-K, uh, a rabbi in Europe. They, they preached that uh, basically... Well, it's, it's very, very <coughs> esoteric, but they, they wanted essentially to restore the ruins in which the world was. And Messiah, as they preached, and this is not any kind of uh, mainline Jewish concept. It's, it's much more uh, something out of Eastern mystery religions than that, than that. But they started preaching in the Ottoman Empire, which hold, held sway over most of Eastern Europe's Jews in those days, that the thing to do now was to uh, cause havoc, fornication, murder and mayhem. Uh, because that would force, uh, shall we say, it would bring forward the return of Messiah, who was delaying too long for their liking. Right. At the same time, very serious, pious Jews who read their Bible properly, uh, particularly the uh, the new movement of the Hasidim, who got going in Lithuania around that time, were saying the thing to do is to study, live devout and pious lives, and uh, uh, run our communities well and do good to our neighbours. Uh, and they suffered persecution as well, of course. But uh, what grabs the attention in the alternative media, the new media, is uh, this this Sabbatean Frankist, as it's sometimes called, uh, sect. Uh, although by the end of his life, Shavi and, and his followers were neither accepted as Jews nor Muslims. They, they were something else. But they did preach, particularly with Frank in the 18th century, that the thing to do was entryism, get into the religions. And, you know, even before, I think, for example, Brian Gerrish was aware of this backstory, he was saying, there's something not right about this Archbishop of Canterbury. I don't think he's a Christian. I think he's a Satanist. So you just need gumption. Oh. You, know, you need to have enough courage and, and masculinity and independence and first principles uh, to say this isn't right. Ergo, he's not a Christian. Of course, the Oxbridge environment is the worst of all for saying, oh, absolute tosh. He's the Archbishop of Canterbury. Of course, he's, he's the, he must be the, the leading Christian in the land. 
Yes. But that, that's, that's the intellectual uh, debasement, isn't it? To, to not to see things as they are. So I can, I can, there's some people who are going to be at this stage going, what? Well, so the world is run by Satanists. And they're going to say, well, that's just crazy. What evidence well, do you have for this? No, no. They, they, they arrogate to themselves the right to run the world. Yeah. Right. And, and most of them believe it, 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 if, if you are so committed to it from birth onwards and, and there's a whole uh, literature, a whole corpus of people who are telling their, their hideous stories of, of sexual torture and mind control from birth onwards from many countries in many languages. And it falls to me, sadly, with being with the linguist in the party to read this stuff and, and double check often that these people are telling the truth, people who don't read each other's languages and who often were let out of the cult or escaped as adults not even literate in their own language, and they come up with the same details again and again, including what the esoteric cults believe. Yeah? So the, the, the handlers, as it were, uh, if they are committed Satanists, themselves have split personalities, or as Christians would say, are possessed by demons who compartmentalize the mind uh, of their host. So in some cases, a part of the person believes they really are a fine, upstanding Christian and a churchgoer and an elder and a minister and whatever else. But another part of them is a Satanist. And this may involve, you know, organizing orgies and doing un unspeakable things to women and children and animals. Uh, or it might just involve the raw exercise of power. Uh, some Satanists go deliberately into uh, running abortion clinics, uh, possibly to do their horrible things at night. But simply the day job of, a, of an abortion clinic brings great joy to Satanists because it's fulfilling their Lord's commandment to, to yes. shorten and cheapen uh, life everywhere and make it suffer uh, uh, more suffering and uh, and more debasement so uh, and degrade mankind the because because the devil's greatest trick is persuading us that he doesn't exist i don't know who it was who said that but 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 i mean that is the case isn't it particularly in the i yes, think in the, yes. since the 20th century that's that's happened to our culture. oh yes um the, the these luciferians or satanists or Saturn, they sort of worship Saturn. They're all manifestations, aren't they, of the same? They're all manifestations of the same thing. The cult of Apollo is one of them, very many other names for it. Oh, and Isis, were they so named because of the connection? One possible uh, etymology for that is this, yes. Yeah. Uh, they, they like stacking functions at that level. So they, they like names that have many magical significances to them all in one go. Gematria, you know, the, the, the use of numerology. People shouldn't get hung up on these things, but if you see several data points that indicate something, then you should take it more seriously and not just go wild on one. Yes, yes. Um, the, the, I understand that these these kind of child sex um, rituals and, and, and killings and so on, they're partly for, for kicks and jollies, aren't they? I mean, they... they yeah. I mean, the most famous list... Uh, which I have put up and not been sued for yet, um, the RAINS list, R-A-I-N-S. Uh, it's an acronym standing for uh, some kind of survivors association. That was put together by the recently deceased Dr. Joan Coleman in the early 2000s, covering the south of England only. She was a, a therapist. And once she had found at least two testimonies that the same person did the same thing with detail of what stately home, what car registration, who did what, what, what horrible... Uh, uh, penchants uh, they all had she put them on this reigns list and there are some very senior politicians and media people on that list i yes. read it out on my youtube channel no, which is I've, called alex I've... thompson eastern approaches nobody has has come up with that you don't get come back for it 
you know, God willing, I mean, I'm in the Lord's hands there, but it's uh, something that needs to be said. But they, they are cowards. And that, yes, they, what you see there, to answer your question, James, is yes, there's an, an outer ring that come for the jollies. They're known as watchers in, the, in that particular parlance. You know, they just come to watch. Others enjoy taking part. Others are terrorized into it. If you don't take part, we'll kill you or get your kids or grandchildren at university or whatever. We've known all of this happen, actually, in, in, in multiple cases that we've we've talked to people or, or, or read material that we that's that's sound from all over the British Isles and further afield. That's there's many ways in. They're just, you know, the big problem for any satanic or simply um uh, you know theosophy type cult uh, that wants to run the world through a glorified Freemasonry or whatever. The big problem is how do we co-opt more people than than the the, the narrow slice of humanity in, a, in an advanced society that's interested in going to juju clubs? Well we need to go main to go go large, don't we? We need to mainstream ourselves. So that's where they, the cults like Common Purpose come in and, uh, and Scientology and OTO and very many others, because they, they can start, uh, you know, chanting the mantra, as it were, and, and working their, their wonders on people so that more of society comes around to their worldview. So it's, it's concentric rings, really. But at the heart of it, there are some who take pleasure. But there's a lot more who, who realize what they've got into and can never get out. And others who do, as a punishment, get tortured and killed because they're simply you know, fed up with it, whether or not they were thinking of blowing the whistle. Yes. No. So, so I see some people just get off on on having sex with children, doing and, and depravity. Uh, yes, but, they do. I'm afraid. Yeah. But it's also a a blackmail tool, isn't it? It's often used as a blackmail mm-hmm. tool. It's it's power. You know, this is. Um, I'll tread very carefully here. Um, what shall I say? People who are not naturally homosexually inclined, and who would be horrified at the thought of any kind of abuse of any underage person. Um, are sometimes forced against their heterosexual inclination to engage in homosexual pederasty for uh, degrading of both parties and to make sure that they'll never go back. Yes. You know, so a, a lot of these, these family men who, who do manage to sire sons and look very you know, high testosterone individuals and typical man's man of a heterosexual kind do end up being in these, these homosexual pederast clubs. And on both sides of the Atlantic, all over the English-speaking world, it's the conservative Republican side that seems to harbour more of these. Yes. You know, and in, the, in their outward life, they're, they're much more towards the Christian patriotic appearance. You know, the, the left-wing parties in the English-speaking world have their own problems, but it's mu- there it's much more, you know, kind of glorifying it. You know, there, there was a time when that lot, you know, the names involved and, and your listeners do too, uh, we're, we're trying to uh, make paedophilia. Yes, yes. In, in, in the Netherlands too, the same year, 77 to 83, was the high point of that, in both Britain and the Netherlands. So that there's, there's, there's easy, it's easier to spot the ones in, in the left-wing parties, but there's, there's more of them actually in the right-wing parties. And just to finish on this point, that it's also about, they believe in these ceremonies in the same way that Christians believe in in the sacrament, that this is this is part of absolutely, your... it's it's sacramental. That, that the the energy flows there through there. You know, you get your. I mean, they 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 get at, at the high levels. Many testimonies from many places say that they are told that they are going to uh, engage in intercourse with a demon. You know, because I mean, one of the things about demonology is they don't have bodies, right? They they loathe our corporeality because it's. Uh, and this goes all the way back to the fall and all the monotheistic religions and philosophies say this, that, uh, that, that the devils, that, that the demons that revolted, well, angels to become demons, um, did so because they would not serve a creature of dust, man made of clay. You know, they, they, were, they were pure spirit and they were much above that. But 
they do need our bodies to get things done in the physical world, including get intoxicated and have sex and various other demonic jollies. Right? So that's one of the reasons they, they occupy our bodies. And so to get to a very high level, Ronald Bernard is but one of the many very credible whistleblowers who said this at a high level, um, they, they will uh, induce the, uh, the candidate for a high office to directly have intercourse with, with one of these demons who themselves have many levels. You know, there's, there's some that are far too high up, as it were, to have that kind of dealing with humanity, but the lower ones will. So, and it, it, it sounds mad, but well, this it does, is, this it is does sound mad many times and places. I'm, I'm sure that, that, that Satan is empowered by child sacrifice and stuff in the same way that, yes. you know, our God. Well, I should say it before I forget to, to, to point this out that anyone with a legal mind, and I myself am uh, a part time law student at Leiden, um, any, anyone with a doubt about this should look at the currently uh, jailed on remand Wilfred Wong and his list of 10 co confirmed cases of satanic ritual abuse from the jurisdiction with the highest evidentiary standard in the world, that of England and Wales. He just counted to 10 cases where judges and juries specifically upheld that there was satanic ritual abuse at the heart of uh, a case of a child being sexually and physically molested. Right. So it, it's not. And, and of course, it's well known that Idaho State Police, in fact, at federal level in the 80s, they, they were already talking about Satanism and Satan ritual abuse. Um, secular countries like France and Belgium have anti-cult agencies which specifically brief their atheist members, you know, ordinary civil servants on watch out for Satanists. They abuse children. This is anything but. Uh, a, a sort of Protestant evangelical fantasy world, as it's often made out to be when the Satanists are fighting a rearguard action and propaganda. It's actually the further away from that you are, the more clearly you'll see the matter. And, and then uh, the best example is the French agency Mivilude, which is, you know, puts out data sheets on Satanist ritual abuse. And that there are countries that have nothing to do with religion publicly. It's quite a leap, isn't it? Um, I remember two years ago when, when somebody started talking about you know ted heath and all this stuff mm. and uh i was outraged that anyone could believe this utter nonsense because how could it be possible for a serving prime minister to have sex with 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 boys and, and, and until the informants of dr joan coleman six of them if i'm not mistaken i'm almost certain the number was six but certainly uh, about around half a dozen told dr joan coleman from different counties not knowing each other who'd been held in different pens you know, some of them like prisons, basically, that Ted Heath had the same propensity, which I won't repeat now, but it's, it's out there in the public domain, right. a rare and, and, and un, unexpected propensity of what he did to abuse children. And the chief constable of Wiltshire, of course, because Heath died in, in that county in, in Salisbury, Andy Veal took that seriously. Of course, it was the end of his career in the end. Uh, but it, it is way beyond the highest evidentiary standards in the world, the, yeah. the, the criminal court standard of, of England and Wales, uh, to, to have six unrelated testimonies of the same thing now it's 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 beyond all reasonable doubt in any courtroom or well, not that it got to a courtroom but you can see that it would in any non-novel jury by the way i i've got to ask you uh, aren't we aren't we going to get bumped off for talking about this stuff i mean what, what the because given that given that so few people are aware of the the real history of the world and and you know, we're, we're going to have to do a whole other podcast because we're not going to cover it. Yes, of course. Gladly, anytime, John James. But um, I'm, I'm not afraid that to, to die to me. Well, Paul says it best, doesn't he? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And anytime a believer is, uh, is said to die in the New Testament, he falls asleep in Jesus. 
So I'm not afraid. And besides that, just humanly speaking, we're dealing with cowards. Yeah. You know, they, 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 they cannot stand you and me. You know, that you don't have to be an, an uber alpha male to set them running. Yeah, look uh, at us. Although it helps, but... <laughs> Yeah, you just need to stand your ground. I mean, my, my dad's much more of that kind because he grew up in uh, central Scotland's children's homes in the 50s and spent most of his time uh, narrowly being spared the, the abusive, uh, uh, well, you know, you know that Scotland has a particular problem, certainly in that generation, yeah. but he, he never got abused, thank God. There were people looking out for him, but you have to stand up for yourself then, even more than I did at rugby. I had you know, knives pulled on me by fellow pupils at rugby and whatever for being a Christian, but dad had it something rotten so they weren't expecting that because he got to be one of the offshore bankers in jersey just at the time i went off to boarding school at rugby so he i nearly didn't see him for a whole year he came back and said something's gone wrong in jersey uh thank god i got out alive i'm not going back there again when i grew up the full story came out he uh was working for one of the high street banks in their, their offshore operation for your overseas listeners um Jersey, uh, you should watch uh, Bill Maloney's Pie and Mash Films episode called Sun, Sea and Satan, I think it's called, made about 10 years ago about Satan, a crown uh, dependency, which is not in the UK, not in the EU, not in anything for tax purposes, where the British high street banks run mainly by uh, Scottish Satanists, to be honest, do all their dodgy dealings and, and, and run the drugs money through the till and all the other stuff and abuse children. This is part of this. Edward Heath comes into this story as well, of course, through the morning cloud and Haute de la Garenne. Anyway, dad didn't know any of that, but he knew how the world works. So he was doing some good taxation advice and financial consultancy. He went private. It's supposed to be, it's not in the UK, but it's supposed to be a first world jurisdiction. He set up where he took his clientele with him and uh, he got called into the, the States, the small parliament of Jersey. And, you know, in a private session by just one chap who said, well, Mr. Thompson, you must understand that on this island, there's half of a dozen of us who decide which businesses will be allowed to start and, and your name's not on the list. And dad, as he's always done through his life, said, not having that, you know, you, you, you can do what you like. So then it started and uh, they did all kinds of things. They, uh, they, they threatened to plant child porn on him, of which there is no shortage in Jersey. This happens a lot, and, doesn't it? That, that oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, just, he rolled up his sleeves. And, and, you know, when they came to his door the next time and uh, they said, well, we know where your wife and son are in England. And he did what he'd done in his teens, actually, uh, when, when he got set about in Tillicucci going for his fish and chips on a Friday night by four, four much bigger lads. Um, on that occasion, he'd said, uh, when they said, we're going we're to set a boot you. And, and dad and his mates said, well, come on then, but you better kill us because if you don't kill us, we'll come after you, come after you from behind with an axe and, uh, and brain you. And, you know, that, that, so he just transferred that. So when they came to his door in his lodgings in Jersey and said, uh, well, they didn't say we're the Satanist club, but that's what they were. You know, they, they, you, you, uh, we, we know where your wife and son are in England. Get off the island. And even tried to serve a, a bogus high court writ on him from England, which isn't applicable in Jersey. He said the same. He said, uh, go ahead uh, and I'll come back and kill you. I'm prepared to do the time, which is, I don't think, uh, a wit beyond anything a biblical Christian can say when his wife and son are uh, that, threatened. That like is, that. That, but it didn't come to that. It didn't come to that. They, they ran away. They always do. Now, oh, the, the late Robert Green, who, who campaigned for um, Holly Gregg in Scotland, one of the, the most celebrated uh, victims of, of Scottish elite Satanism, you know, going right up to you know, school headmaster and, and judge level in, in that corner of Scotland. Robert Green had this multiple times. He would just you know, show, tell them that he wasn't afraid, that he was a Christian, and then they would run away in terror. That is muscular Christianity, I, the, the approach you just described. Um, I, was, I was talking to somebody the other day, um, it, as I tend to do, you know, like, like I meet somebody at a party and I'll just kind of 
I, I won't take any prisoners. I'll just, I, I, I won't waste time. Mm. Polite conversation. I'll just launch straight into something or other. And I was talking to this random person about my journey. And she said, you know, so who do you think is really making all those decisions then? And I think she probably wanted me to say, it's the Jews, you know, or something like that. But, but mm. I, said, no. I said, it's, it's, well, ultimately it's the committee of 300, isn't it? And the council of foreign, tell me about the committee of 300. Right. Um, this is another Coleman. This is Dr. John Coleman mm -hmm. who wrote this book. And he has uh, another man called Daniel Estulin, an ex-Soviet in, in Spain and now Canada, who's written some very good books on Bilderberg and so on. And the two of them, building on each other's materials, have said that one of the forums in which the elite bloodlines meet is called a Committee of 300. Um, there's a couple of you know, big British politicians and economic names on that list, but they're usually the eminence grise. They're no, not usually prime ministers. They tend to be number twos or back office guys. But that's, that's just one sort of executive forum in which the same guys meet. You shouldn't get hung up on whether it's the Trilateral Commission, the CFR, the Bilderbergers. I mean, Daniel Estedin's book, The True History of the Bilderberg Group, written about 10 years ago, gives chapter and verse on how all these slots together. But he is at pains to always say it's not the, the, the name that counts. It's, it's which guys are in the room. Oh. You know, and at that level, interestingly, uh, the likes of the Eternal Kissinger, who always pop up, uh, if you see how... Estelin traces, you know, the, the disagreements that they have at that level, like uh, uh, the, the, the French going up to him just before the Iraq war and having a blazing row, you know, there and sending him away with his tail between his legs. You see that even inside those forums, there is satanic disorder, you know, that there's vying between groups. So it's not the case that the, the Committee of 300 or the Bilderberg group or even its inner steering group is all one about things. Yeah, That's just for show. You know, the, the, the messaging that comes out is one. But inside, there's always groups with different philosophies. In fact, my follow-up to that AV9 talk you mentioned was an AV9.1 talk where Ian Crane asked me to talk more about uh, the relation to Britain. So I talked about two bloodline persuasions or philosophies, which I dubbed for short Aristotelian and Platonist. And that, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, is quite indicative, too, that that's one of these groups believes much more in uh, infrastructure and giving everyone a taste of the money. And then the other one, uh, Aristotelian, I dubbed it, believes much more in, in making people's lives, as Hobbes put it, solitary, brutish, nasty, poor and short, and making them accept their limitations and their broken bodies, you know, learn to, to cope with the symptoms and just accept that, that, uh, that abuse is a fact of life. Are, are there any good guys among the, or do they get eliminated fairly quickly? Plenty. Um, even the, the, the Pinnacle Bank, the Bank for International Settlements, had a wonderful Dutch reformed guy, a Frisian called Jelle Zeilstra, who ran it in the 60s, and a bunch of Third Reich uh, sort of uh, layabouts who'd, who'd survived the war, as a lot of these bankers did from the Third Reich, uh, stormed into his office in the 60s and said, this is absolutely not acceptable. Our cartel must run this. You must give this order immediately. And he just said, gentlemen, go to hell. That's well recorded. He got away with that because, uh, you know, a Dutchman, again, a, a plain... Uh, first principles thinking Christian man who didn't have any truck with, uh, with, with silly games is able to do a great deal like, like Zylstra did then by just simply saying, go to hell. Right. They're, they're not prepared for resistance. They're not prepared for anyone with a mind of his own, basically, because the, the, the be-all and end-all of their, their box of tricks is sorcery. You know, one of the greatest uh, deliverance ministry men of, of uh, recent years was Derek Prince, uh, an Englishman who uh, was very famous around the world as well. And he talked about this in at least one of his messages, that, that there, there's a three-pronged Satanist attack, uh, sorcery, 
divination and witchcraft. And these relate to the tripartite nature of, of, of man. You know, they relate to the body, mind and soul. Uh, and so that, that's, that's it. And the, 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 the hardest of those tricks to break is, is the control of the mind or the divination. Yes, yes. I mean, there's no question that, that, that the world is currently under a spell, isn't it? It's, uh, so many people. Yes, been... yeah, we use that word. David Scott in particular, this, this wonderful First Principles Scott, who's uh, on our uh, core team, he's, he's always talking about uh, witchcraft, sorcery and spells. And, and Brian Gerrish too, to be honest. And, and you get a long way by calling things by their right names. Yes. By the way, I mean, one of the things that I, I, don't, I don't, this is a separate Christian podcast, but one of the things I've discovered is the power of our words, like the Psalms, Psalm 91. Wow. You know, we've got spells of I our own. I translated a whole, whole thesis on Psalm 91 by a Dutch Reformed minister, because one of the things I do is theological translation in church history. And uh, he's traced how everyone from the Chilean Pentecostals through to uh, uh, Middle Eastern Christians have used that as, as a kind of anti-incantation, as, as a holy holy incantation. And yeah. he worked out that the original context was probably uh, someone who was being troubled by demons, who was being brought to a, a sanctuary of, of El Shaddai, one of the titles of God in the Old Testament, and was staying the night there so that the devils couldn't get at him. And yeah. if you read it that way, it's a sort of, many of the Psalms are dramatic in that way. There's a, there's a vignette, you know, Psalm 22 to 24, the famous trilogy. They have, you know, that, that's the cross, the, the, the tomb and the resurrection those three psalms. So you can see this dramatic uh, movement in many of the psalms within them. Oh, okay. So you can advise me. To which voice is speaking. Um, uh, obviously, I've got, thou shalt not be afraid. Um, for the mm. by night. The commonest commandment in the Old, Te- Old Testament. Yeah. Fear it's not. Like- Look up fear not on ukcolumn.org. David, uh, David's speech recently. Okay. It's, 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 it's even more co- common commandment in scripture than to love God or your neighbor, to fear not. I because, totally get Because, you know, that. as, as, uh, as Herbert said in Dune, didn't he, Frank Herbert, fear is the mind killer uh, because, you know, perfect love casts out fear in the first letter of John. And uh, if you're dominated by fear, such as by Branch Covidian uh, thinking, then th- there's no room in there for love or obedience or, or, or for common sense. You know, that's what the power of fear is. It drives out everything that should be in your mind. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So the well, first thing you have to do is fear not. Very quickly then. Um, I've got the, 23rd psalm and i've got psalm 91 which one should i learn next which which is which is the next killer psalm that that is really cool would you recommend Uh, 23 should be memorized for starters because that takes a believer right through to the grave even when he's in the valley of the shadow of death no i've got i've got that one yeah so what oh i see you've memorized these two which one should be next okay um you should learn the divine counsel psalms which are at least in western tradition numbered not psalm 50 and psalm 82 because they uh, both talk about God standing up and telling the demons, the fallen angels who, who were permitted to lead the nations astray, that's enough. I've had enough of you. So if you read that in the light of the gospel and Christ saying in John's gospel, now the, the prince is cast out, the devil is cast out, okay. then you understand that. But bear in mind, of course, as, as any Christian should, many, many forget to do this, that uh, Christ and Paul continue to call the devil in the New Testament the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. Because you know, whether you're Thomas Hobbes or, or any political philosopher, you'll, you'll understand there's something even worse than tyranny, and that's anarchy. And, you know, many countries in the world today that cling to a, a tyrant they know uh, do so because the, the anarchy that they don't know is even worse. You know, they yeah. You're not even sure what your neighbor will do. For that reason, writ large, spiritually, God, in what's often called the cosmic war or the, uh, the divine council, has permitted fallen angels to stay at their posts to, to put the fear of God literally into any 
overweening men or, or nations or, or governments. Do you reckon, um, I know we're not supposed to be able to, only God knows this, but do you reckon these are the end times? I mean, I mean, the, the, the parallels with Revelation, uh, the mark of the beast and the vax are pretty, pretty strong, aren't they? Yeah. Where are you on this? Well, if, if you take a proper new, sound, integral view of the New Testament, the end times actually began with Christ's ascension to glory. Uh, because what's the key difference if you compare Daniel with Revelation? That's the, you have to compare the Old and New Testaments to make sense of them, of course. Um, the difference between the, the Old Testament apocalyptic prophecies and the New is that uh, in the Old Testament, there was still what's called time to run, and that means prophetic time. And, and the, in the New Testament, particularly Revelation, time, uh, time would be no more. That means prophetic time so everything is fulfilled there's there's no there's nothing left to happen of spiritual import until christ's final return so these are the last days or the day of the gentiles or whatever you want to call it without getting too dispensationalist uh so the the, the question is whether we're at the very end of the end times and many christians have, have worked themselves into a frenzy about that i mean david scott i think often says to me that he thinks it's within the next five years the lord's coming again uh other believers i respect very greatly say alex it could be a million years from now but that would be you nice. Know, it, it gets, it would. I mean, it? but like, people like more post-millennial philosophy <coughs> say that because they believe that they have more work to do to get ready for Christ. But that too can be subverted because if the, if the bank and the currency we're building and then laws we're writing are for Christ, then that can easily be used for uh, by Satan, you know, to deceive people. So that you know, you, you must obey our tyranny because it's, it's it's preparing for Christ. Yes, yes. Um, like you, I'm I'm very very happy about the afterlife i'm not i'm not afraid of death i mean i don't think i don't think dying is going to be much fun but i'm totally i'm totally exactly not afraid of yeah death. As, as my my father's often said i'm not afraid of, afraid of uh death I'm, I'm a bit apprehensive about dying That's yeah 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 but but yeah. that said I, I i like the via positiva rather than you know i i i i, 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 yes. I enjoy life and 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 stuff and i'd be I, I i want the world to be happy and us to be free um, I don't want yeah, you're, you're, you're a proper man, James. You, you, and Gavin Ashenden, you had on recently, that worthy brother, and he said that you wouldn't have got on well in the monastery because you're that kind of man. You just, you know, you want to seize life. And, uh, I do. And be with friends. And yeah, I want to go. I want to go fox hunting again. You know, I, I, I want to. I like being on a horse. I like. Yeah, I like. I like doing dangerous things. Um, I like, uh, but, but freedom is, I, I think, the most important thing for me. It's just absolutely. But anyway, just so the, the, what I was leading up to asking you was, um, what do you think there's any hope? And because, 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 I, I mean, the way things are going at the moment, you know, I I can see now very, very clearly that the world has been ordered by. I'll give you one example: the whole sustainability, green, green culture. Mm. The only way of explaining it is in terms of people hate us, they hate the planet, they hate, you know, they don't like nature, they don't like people. Yes. It's anti-human, it's, 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 it's Malthusian. It is. It's... I mean, ju just within ukcolumn.org, at the top of the homepage at the moment, Ian Davis, one of our excellent guest writers, has a piece entitled The Not-So-Great Carbon Reset. Yeah. And this is one of the, the most digestible presentations of what the wonderful Catherine Austin Fitz has called the Going Direct Reset. So if you're wondering what all that... Uh, latest buzz is about in the, in the new media. That, that's what it's about. It's about a bunch of guys in August 2019 saying, uh, hang the central banks, we the corporations and the hedge funds will control taxation policy and the money can supply directly. And yeah. for that, COVID was needed. 
Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yes, that's anti-human. You know. So 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 all that. Um. I, I mean, not even not even Boris Johnson believes in this crap. You know, nobody believes in this crap. He's taking orders from a, a much higher level. Nobody right. in the country wants the sustainability crap. It, it's just it's just woo, which is invented by the cabal, mm. and 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 we've been sold this propagandized into believing this nonsense and idiots have i i didn't because i wrote the book on it but but you know and and, and i'm free mentally I'm, i haven't been ensnared by the by the devil mm. uh, which is great um but given the path we are currently set on and given how few there are awake i mean what do we, we say 10 percent maybe are awake or if even yes awake? but i mean I, I would rejoice in that hallelujah it used to be two percent but I, I think it can't be much under 10 now because okay. you know the likes of you and me are getting recognised. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not back in Blighty very often. But even sometimes the Dutch will say, "I know you. You're that Alex Thompson." And I didn't set out to be a celebrity. I just talk some rather impalatable truths yeah. from a rather intellectual, esoteric way. You know, but that that seems to to resonate now with, as you say, ten percent of people. So rejoice! It's it's going up, it's but it's not weird. the critical mass yet. Do you, mm. I, I I kind of feel like I've been chosen by God. I mean. Yes, there's there's nothing megalomaniac about that, you know, all the way through history, and this isn't in fact unique to Christianity either, but any monotheistic religion, to be chosen by God amounts really to nothing more than to being open to his plans. Yeah, totally. Not to putting your your own wisdom above his. I'm definitely not the Messiah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not yeah. I mean, the, the, the Dutch reformed among whom I am have a great problem with assurance of uh, election. You know, am I truly saved? Am I really a Christian? Or is that arrogant of me to say so? And that causes great consternation to many of them. But one of the things I say to reassure them is chosen or elect in the Bible is always plural. It's a, it's a people chosen in Christ. It's not I am chosen with a great stamp across my forehead individually. That's, that's post-enlightenment thinking. Uh, all the way through history before that, people weren't so individualistic or solipsistic. They said, well, look at, I'll take a look at myself. Which people am I with? Am I with the devil's people or am I with Christ's people? Yeah. Well, if I'm with Christ's people, then I'm one of the elect. That's, that's yeah. the end of it. And I like it. I really like it, actually. It's made me so much happier. Um, but uh, do you think, well, obviously we have a chance because, I mean, you know, it's a percentage. Yes. But, but what, can, what can we do at this point? Several of the people on whom with whom I'm on the same wavelength, have been saying independently of me now, uh, what we do is go under the state. Um, we, we go sub-state. And, you know, Mike Robinson is, is, is very keen, for example, uh, on the work of Lyndon LaRouche, who was one of the earliest and bravest critics of the British crown and all it was doing around the world. So he asked me at our British Constitution Group Conference 2016 at Winchester to talk on uh, the nation state, which is still up online. I think it's called the Westphalian tradition and the, the Westphalian order and the nation state. And I was, I wouldn't retreat from that position that you mustn't lose the nation state and, and don't give in to globalism or regionalism. However, for the rest of our lifetimes, at least, James, I think we're going to lose the state. And the best we can do is have a group that supports itself, whose, whose members are known to each other. We don't need to withdraw literally to a bunker or to Idaho, but like early you can even stay in, in, a, in, a, in a city centre, as I do in the Netherlands. It's quite a safe environment because you know your neighbours. You can, you can actually keep disorder off your street, especially if, for example, my street is mainly Turkish and black and, and they won't have any nonsense. They're much better than the white Dutch about uh, in, intervening early if there's any drug dealing or whatever. So uh, it would be the same with any totalitarianism. I have, you know, humanly speaking, a lot of confidence that in many city centre environments in the West, like mine in the Netherlands, you're getting, you'll get on fine there, including with non-Christians, just people with whom you're on the same page. But go, go sub-state. You know, the, the latest idea that Catherine Austin Fitz and her crowd have been advising very sensibly is Cash Fridays. 
I'm keep not spending the cash. Even if the state says, there is no more cash, deliver all your banknotes, simply keep using the things or you know, any means of exchange, preferably one that has inherent value, like items of food. And you know, yes. what, what's, what's really worrying people now is, how would I get my children schooled and how would I get my healthcare and dentistry seen to privately? Well, as we, we've all noticed now, there isn't an NHS or equivalent left in the Western world anyway. No. And at the, so that expectation, that the ratchet of expectation that went up when the NHS was created famously has now sunk again. And the, uh, the hope has risen because for a long time, those who aren't medics like me, uh, but who take a great interest in medicine, we used to think, well, we would be back to 19th century, barely using anesthesia levels of, of palliative care if we did it all in the community. But the, 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 the proper thinkers in the alternative, uh, or I should say the new media scene, the free, the free thinking scene who are talking about this say actually no, with professionals on board and with the right access to materials which can be wangled, we could actually be not just anaesthetizing and operating on people, we could be de delivering some fairly advanced care free of the state. And that's the hardest sell of all. If you can see that practically working in detail as some of our thinkers now are, then anything else like homeschooling or, or um, exchanging food for teaching or whatever, that, that, that's, that's child's play by comparison. It can yes. all be done. You don't have to emigrate for it. I could never, I mean, I'm in the Netherlands for marriage and I'm very happy there, but as I've been saying to my parents on this visit, you know, even in other countries that I love deeply, like the United States, I could have a very fulfilled life there in some ways, but why would I want to be there? They're not my people. You know, they're, they're, they're very close. They're our cousins, but they're not my people. So this, this is the last, the first visit I've made to Britain for a year and a half, very emotional in some ways without getting tearful, just, just walking as I was down the streets of, of, of Luton this morning and, and thinking, well, you know, it might look like, the arse end of, of civilization, but they're my people and I love them. I, I can't I, deny that I love them. I very mm. much have felt that on the marches. I have never loved my fellow humans quite so much. And, you know, whatever, mm. whatever kind of snobbery or aspirational stupidity I had when I was at university, I'm, I've put mm. all that behind me. I yes. just, I totally feel here's another visual plot I was, I was very keen on the ulsterman in fact i joined the orange order for some years and i found these tapes just clearing out the the shed now and this this is the time of my life when i was at cambridge and i realized that i couldn't join the snobs i went to northern ireland a lot and i bought tapes like this the spirit will not die that's the song by glasgow's finest uh, loyalist band green gears thistle flute band and here's one commemorating the 1987 bombing the enniskillen poppy day massacre and Cambridge and early GCHQ years, I was always going on about Northern Ireland and the Orange Order. And I did it. I, I know now why I did it. It was sort of an, an inchoate sense then that uh, if I talked about this and disgusted people with this idea, I actually liked being British and, and liked people who, who, who celebrated being British with me. That was my sort of safeguard against this, this snobbery. You know, that, that was one of the reasons I self-selected for the pool that was getting awakened rather than swallowing the main line. And, you know, my, my roommate at Cambridge put his finger on it very well. He said... Because well, you could see this happening by the 90s already with the, the, the way in which the, the troubles were being sort of steered to a political fuzzy solution. He said, well, evidently, everyone in these islands is entitled to a culture except the native Protestants of Scotland and Northern Ireland. And you know, that, that's why, you know, the Orange Order and its, its marches became a taboo subject, really. And as soon as I realised that, I thought, yes, yeah, well, you know, are these people allowed a culture? Are we allowed a culture? Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, that, we are. Th 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 these are the kind of questions which are your kind of gateway to, to understanding. The, but final question, because I, I, I can see we're going to have to, Alex, we're going to have to do another podcast. I hope you're up for that. Anytime, brother. Probably several. Um, but the Queen. Uh, yes. I've, been, I've been a lifelong royalist. 
uh, monarchist, whatever, I completely turned when she started pushing the jab. Mm. Now, was was I naive to have any faith in the royal family before that? I mean, to, to have faith in the royal family was was the norm in the fifties, but perhaps was naive by the the eighties when they started going silly. But to have faith in the queen is uh, is simply uh, something that's required of any upright citizen, let alone any Christian in, in any country, even if he's got um, an unsuitable absolutist king or, or a junter ruling him. He's still to pray for them. And again, the New Testament should be read carefully. Why do we pray for those in authority over us? Mainly so that they'll leave us alone. That's what Paul says, so that, that, that we will we'll be allowed to have a, a quiet life. Yeah? So certainly where the queen is a professing Protestant and, uh, uh, and, and actually swore in her coronation oath to uphold biblical religion, absolutely, we, we suspend... Uh, our skepticism on, on on whether she herself is something darker. Well, is she, I don't no. believe that she is. Ah. No, I mean, uh, if you if you talk to the the, the really uh, hardcore Protestant ministers, as I've spent most of my life doing, they they'll they'll come out with things about what they had with private audiences with the Queen and English Baptists, Scottish Presbyterians. They've all said the same thing when they've had the Queen privately. She has said that much as she owed a great deal to the Duke of Edinburgh through his long life, and he was her mainstay. He, would, he could not abide Christianity, and he would explode if it was talked about. And to one minister of the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland, uh, Her Majesty said, there are two Christians in my family, my mother and myself. So Her Majesty spent her whole reign knowing that her husband and her children are anti-Christian, possibly with the exception of the Princess Royal, who I think just doesn't give a stuff about religion. But the others, uh, well, Prince Edward's not, not anything particularly noxious, but the other two are anti-Christian with a vengeance and take after their father more than they would claim that they do. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I've come this, yeah. Um, yeah, that is very interesting. Okay. I, I've got to pick you up on the, on the comment you made earlier. Um, and we'll end up round off there. The Archbishop of Canterbury. He's a wrong one, isn't he? Well, well I mean, I, I was at Cambridge Intercollegiate, Intercollegiate Christian Union, kick you the, 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 the stable that generated him. So I, I saw in my day, about 10 years after his day, I think, how uh, you can get uh, your ear bent by the wrong crowd when you're in that group. You know, you can start off evangelical, as George Carey did, a previous archbishop, who it now turns out was was campaigning with Tatchell for uh, for basically pederasty in the 80s. Um, you, can, you, you can get co-opted onto the wrong side very easily. There, there is even, I think specifically in the evangelical camps at Oxford and Cambridge, there's a network that says, well, he's a likely lad. He, he would earn us a lot of money as, as, as the minister of the right, the vicar of the right church. So we're going to train him up. They, they were tapping me up for a while and then they realized that I had too much of a conscience. But look, look so, here's the uh, thing. This, this, this really happens. Just, just back to basics here. As a Christian, it's obvious to me what good is. You know, God is truth. God is light. God is... The, the, what the things that... Some of the things that, that the Archbishop of... Canterbury campaigns for and represents are self-evidently yes, such as now saying we don't preach morality, you know, and and the drive so, to abolish the clergy now that that um, uh, Giles Fraser has written very well about it as yeah, unheard recently, yeah. and also um, uh, Alison Pearson in the Telegraph has seen much of this. Yeah, now, Wellbeism is we don't have any message, but we are desperate to get into every community. But this so is a it... long-term C of E issue. We we want to even if they and they mark my words they will resile from many of the parish churches and even some of the cathedrals and flatten them or turn them into blocks of flats. The managerialist bishops will do that. What they want is a, a presence in a, in, a, in a ghastly dark hall 
at the centre of every new smart city intense uh, community uh, where they can have their, 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 their religious time. There won't be any Jesus in it. There won't be any salvation, but they'll be in control of it. But so, so, that, so, that, the Satanist drive wants that, you know, a presence at the heart of every community, as they often say in the sea of it. So they're not Christians? Some of them are not. Some of them are woefully misled. But um, I, I do not know any current Church of England bishops or any bishops of the Anglican community in much of the Western world that I would call a Christian at this point. You know, that they've, they've been weeded out. Same with, same with the Catholic Church. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, if we want a practical tip to end on, if you're in a parish in any Christian denomination and you're worried about takeover, ask to see adjusted annual accounts for your parish. Don't just uh, take a, a, a one-line statement in, a, in an annual general meeting or a PCC meeting. Ask for properly professionally adjusted accounts and see where the money's going at your parish level and you'll be pretty shocked. Right. Is it so? So where do we, where do we find churches that are still doing their? Is it, is it orthodoxy? Um, I can't, with a good conscience, recommend Eastern Orthodoxy because I'm not persuaded that they are uh, they allow the Bible authority over their tradition. But I have the greatest respect for them as Christian brothers, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but I can only, in, in good conscience, recommend uh, Reformed Protestant churches because I'm persuaded, obviously, that that's. Uh, the, right. the, uh, the historical uh, understanding of the Bible. Team. By the way, the, the, the Church of England is historically reformed too. It still is in the 39 Articles. But at this point, I would recommend that uh, you attend in Scotland the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland and in England uh, one of the strict Baptist uh, churches, many of which, of course, are independent. Um, in, in Wales, uh, likewise, there's the Evangelical Movement of Wales. There is um, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England and Wales. In Northern Ireland, you have more choice, but even there since lockdown, we have seen that only a few fellowships, such as the Lighthouse near Dungannon, County Tyrone, have really taken a biblical line on staying open. So um, th there are churches out there, but uh, get out of any of the mainline denominations and find a, a Christian fellowship that is not charismatic, that puts biblical preaching first, and that has uh, a long history as the denominations I talked about, uh, of praying for those in authority and understanding what they're there for and what they're not there for. Because these are the denominations which through lockdown have been saying in the old fashioned way, like a Puritan divine would have done, your majesty, this is beyond your powers. We pray for you, but this is not, not something your government can do. Right. Okay. Anything more mainline than that will say, uh, yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. Yeah. Roll over for a time. We don't want that. We don't want that. No, we don't. Um, Alex, it's been so good having you on the podcast. And I'm very conscious that, that like, we just, you didn't even scratch the surface. We maybe No, we didn't. We There was a meeting it. of minds. That was the main thing. Well, that was there. Yeah, it's, it's been nuts. If we were fools, we were fools for Christ's sake. Well, I'm, I'm sure we were that. Yes, exactly. Um, I, uh, I really enjoyed that. And uh, if you did too, please don't forget, um, you can find me on Subscribestar and on, on Patreon and my website, dellingpoleworld.com. Although it's not very well maintained, but you can, you can buy your, special friend badges there um you'll find alex on uk column which you're right it is what do you call it new media i mean it's it's the, it's, the doyen of the new media we like to say it's it, it's a fantastic institution i'm so glad you're there and and thank you for all the work you do um a pleasure and, and if anyone from the cabal is watching and they want to bump either alex or me off don't forget um all you'll be doing is sending us to like heaven and it's <laughs> you'll be doing us a favor <laughs> so don't be a yes an early promotion 
come yeah. come and give us an early promotion yeah. but actually i'd rather stay in there's, there's more work to do yet yeah there's work to be done yeah okay well thank you alex that was um great have a nice um rest of your weekend thank you god bless you okay and you